Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You are about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Alan and Sports Talk. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Alan and Aaron. And a pleasant good evening to everybody tonight. It is Friday, January 28th, 2022. This is the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast, and we're happy to have you joining us here tonight. We are on the eve of the uh, NFC and AFC championship games. Uh, a lot of football news to talk about over the last uh, several days, uh, coaching hires, uh, uh, rumors uh, of who might go where, a, a big bombshell, of course, with Sean Payton. Uh, stepping away from the Saints. Uh, we've got some baseball lockout news to get to. The Hall of Fame, of course, uh, made their announcement here with the induction, or with the election, rather, um, this uh, this past week. And uh, just general sports news to talk about. And uh, we can't do that, of course, without the other half of the show. That would be my colleague, Alan. Alan, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here tonight, everybody. Really enjoy doing this show and really enjoy being with you, Aaron. Definitely good to be back uh, after uh, after being out last week. I wasn't feeling too well, unfortunately. I know the weather has been uh, crazy here in Florida. If you're listening to us in any other part of the country, uh, Florida is preparing here over the weekend for some pretty cold temperatures. I don't think we've seen anything quite like this uh, in, in a while. Um, not to play meteorologist, but we're we're getting temperatures they normally see up in, uh, you know, the Chicago area over the weekend. We have a hard freeze actually coming to the central part of the state. So we'll survive. Our grass will grow back. Everything will turn green again here in a few months. But uh, just wanted to kind of get that out there uh, here. Going to start off the show here tonight with uh, one of our good friends. Uh, he's going to come on the line now. We've got uh, Lou, who is here with us. And Lou is up in New Jersey. I'm sure that weather up there is probably pretty chilly as well. Lou, good evening. How are you? Yes. <laughs> All right. I mean, the, the last couple of days have been awful, but uh, today's moderate to compare to, to the last uh, three days. Oh, yeah. How cold has it been? Uh, about uh, 10 to 15 degrees. Whoa, oh, that is cold. That's freezing. That's Lambeau Field yeah. weather right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lambeau Field. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cold. How you been dealing with it? Well, as well as well as I can. Okay. Is there snow on the ground? Very little right now. Um, the other half of the state is supposed to get worse than we are. Okay. So, yeah. Oof. We're How not supposed it, to be it, that bad. We're supposed to get, like, let me five inches. Well, an hour south of here, you're going to get a lot more than that. Boy, well, I'm not down there this weekend. Wow. Yeah, so this weekend, are you expected cold temperatures? Really cold? Yeah, we are. But it's supposed to get better by this time next week. Okay, that's good. That's encouraging. So I'm glad you're with us, Lou. I'm glad you called in. And I guess uh, we'll start with uh, getting your thoughts on how last weekend playoff games worked itself out. Well, I'll tell you, the only one that really really, uh, shocked me was the – Packers 49ers game. I thought the Packers were going. I, mean, I thought the Packers were going to just, you know, roll right past them. You know, 
cold weather, uh, no really significant injuries. I mean, Garoppolo was still fighting with a thumb injury. I thought, okay, how is he going to be able to throw a ball if he's like that? But obviously they still find a way to win. And it was, well, compared to the other games, pretty much a boring game. You know, you all heard, of course, like defense wins championships, yes, but it was so stagnant. And stagnant doesn't, you know, stagnant I don't think wins your ball games either. So that was my, um, that was my disappointment of the week. Yeah, I'm going to just give my, yeah. my thoughts. I know Aaron has a lot to say about it, but I was I was really surprised that the Packers could not really get much of the lead going. They had seven points. Yeah. They were moving the ball really well at certain points in the first half. They just could not get any points on the board. They would stall out, and yeah. their defense held up. The 49ers' defense held up, and I was like, you know what? Just like they said at halftime, by them only, you know, being down, I think, at 10 points or nothing, you know, with them blocking that field goal, I said, that's a win for the 49ers because the 49ers really didn't do anything offensively, but their defense is yeah. held strong. And I was like, you know what? The 49ers have a very good shot of winning this game. How close it is, where it could have very well been a blowout, it wasn't. And it did not surprise me the way the game was going that the 49ers won the game. I guess the only surprise was they blocked a field goal and they blocked a punt. So very you know, rare in the same game. Yeah, but I know I know Aaron has a lot to say about it. What are your thoughts on that <laughs> <laughs> that game? Well, and and to be honest with you, the Packers defense played great the entire game. I mean, there really wasn't any any real letdown there. The defense allowed three points, so defense definitely gets a thumbs up. Offense just could never get any rhythm going and really where the failure in that game was was in the special teams i mean a, a touchdown on a blocked punt that's seven points right there and they missed the field goal they, they didn't block well on the line and uh the defender came around the left side and blocked oh. it um so that's 10 you basically gave them the tie in, in in the in the special teams and i i watched that game obviously very closely and I remember when there was, I think it was six minutes and 10 seconds left on the clock. The Packers were up 10 to three. Before that uh, punt got blocked, to me, the play calling was pretty poor. In, in my mind, you don't give a team like San Francisco, you don't give them, because I mean, look what they did against Dallas. They, they played pretty solidly against them uh, for the most part in the game last week or the week before. You, you make them beat you. Don't give them a potential to block a punt and be in in the red zone automatically. So in my mind, with 6-10 left in the game, I think it was first down when they had that time left, run the football. Because if they had run the football there and even gotten one first down, you push the ball to the other side of the field and you make Garoppolo go down the field and beat you by playing offense, get past your defense. And I don't think that would have happened. I don't think they would have been able to, to – to do what they did, um, but the, the the big thing is is you gave too much time to Garoppolo at the end to get the get into position to get that field goal, and you burned all your timeouts when you didn't really need to, and you essentially, in my mind, I don't think it was necessarily the 49ers won the game. I think it was really more the Packers gave it away. Um, you can't give up big plays like that. You can't have and look, Mason Crosby's a great Packer. He's the all-time leading scorer in franchise history. Believe it or not. But his season was marred with 
missed field goals and just a terrible situation there. Special teams really was the, the death of the Packers this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was impressive to me what the, the 49ers did. I just was really – the only mistake I really felt Garoppolo made was he did force that ball when they were driving really well to Kittle. I, I seen that was going to be a, a pick, just the way the fact that he was throwing it across the body in the cold weather, I said, that's a pick. And showing up, it was a pick. Yeah. But I, I just thought, you know, the 49ers made plays when they needed to. And I felt like those those plays, those two big special team plays, and then they had the fumble too, you know, in on the special teams too. It, it was just one of those things. I, one thing that did surprise me was the 49ers did have to punt the ball quite a bit. They just, like you said, they couldn't get into a rhythm. Very unpacker like where they couldn't get it to Vontae and at least Aaron Jones and get something. And they had to kick the ball a lot. And you know what? I agree with you to a certain extent, but the 49ers, they did what they had to do to win the game, too. Yeah, you know, no, so. I mean, they, here, here's the thing good teams look for advantages, uh, they look for opportunities, probably is the, the better phrase to use there. So those opportunities were the block field goal. The, the the punt uh, return for a touchdown or the block punt for a touchdown. And here's another one that wasn't necessarily something that they were handed, but A.J. Dillon, our, uh, one of the running backs with Green Bay, got injured earlier in the game. So you, you go from having two really stellar running backs, a pretty solid running game. I mean, Green Bay, that, that's probably the thing that the offense has been benefited uh, the last probably two seasons is you get two guys that can really be number one backs in another another organization – um, and then one of them goes down, so now you're relying on one. It's like having a twin-engine airplane, and one of the engines goes out. You've got one engine to rely on. So um, a funny story about this game, though, um, last – I want to say it was Thursday. Yeah, it would have been Thursday. It was the night before um, – yeah. uh, the day before the day before the game. I have a good friend who's actually from uh, Appleton, lives down here in the in the central Florida area, and I had invited him to – sometime during the playoffs, come over and watch one of the Packers playoff games, which, you know, ended up only being one game. He calls me up on, uh, on Thursday night and says, Hey, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm actually heading to the airport to go to the game. So he, uh, he fortunately got to go there. And then of course, uh, didn't turn out quite the way that we all wanted it to, but, uh, good game nonetheless. And some great playoff games, uh, probably in my 30 plus years of watching the NFL, like I do now, is probably one of the most exciting playoff weekends that I've ever seen. But, Lou, um, you know what? We could have called it that they were not going to win the Packers <laughs> when I saw A-Rod there at the stands. When yeah. I saw A-Rod, I said, you know what? Jumping on the bandwagon, he was he, he was the jinx right there. <laughs> yes. But, Lou, yeah, so what do you got going on your show this uh, coming up weekend? Well, you know for a fact we're going to have the uh, predictions for championship Sunday, as I like to call it. Uh, we'll yep. review last week's, you know, thrilling games, because all four of them were fantastic. Uh, we'll discuss the lack of the MLB uh, Hall of Fame, and I do mean the lack of it. Oh, boy, that was awful. Uh, the latest on the very little progress on the labor talks, I do mean very little at that. Yuck. Uh, we'll also talk some... Um, NHL, because the All-Star game is coming up, uh, NBA, 
the Olympics are now just uh, where are we now? It's uh, probably uh, five or six days away, and we're going to talk some viewers uh, for as well. Some say it again. <laughs> you talk some what? I said the I said the viewers uh, for USFL for those who didn't catch it. Yes, 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 that. Okay. Like I was going to say that out loud. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. well, because like there, is some, there is some news about it. Oh boy, why I don't know, but still. And I'll tell you, yeah, you guys missed a, you guys was a good show last week because we had a record breaker. Oh wow! What was the what record yeah. break? Record breaking show last week. Wow! In what in what in what way? Yeah, fifteen. Whoa! 15, 15 that's right for you. Right for you. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. See? There you go. I told you that to give up. In my four-year history of hosting the show, I have never had a show like that. Just starting off the year right. Okay. Well, we started the year off a month ago. This is the fourth show of the year already. So, uh, you know, but at least, you know, I got got some more calls from other stuff. And uh, I don't think I'll be able to break that mark this week. But, uh, you know, at least, you know, uh, some people haven't given up on the show yet. Thank God. Yes, that's right. You got to definitely keep going. You can't look back. You got to keep moving forward. And there you go. You can yeah. maybe even do up one. You can go 16 callers. So that, that's definitely something that you should be proud of. Tell them the number so you get it yes. up to 16. Okay. Assuming your power doesn't go out tomorrow from the storms, well, first of all, good luck. Uh, the number to call is 512-543-4662. Number again, 512-543-4662. And if my power doesn't go out or any other computer issues like I had today, I'll be on. Oh, boy, it was awful. Yes, Eastern Standard Time Zone, 5 to 7. Enhanced Eastern Time. Show. Eastern Standard Time Zone. Make sure you support our great friend, Buddy Lou. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Always appreciate you giving us a call in, and we hope you get number 16 tomorrow. Yeah, hope so. I mean, it may be a little bit tough with the storm because I don't know who's going to have their power or not, but, hey, as long as i got power, I'll be there. <laughs> there you go, 512-543-4662. Make sure you call in and support our friend Lou. Yeah, hopefully I'll hear from you guys in the near future. Absolutely. All right. Thank you All so right, much, Thanks. Yeah, Lou, yeah, thanks for coming on. Have a great night. <laughs> Thank you. That's a great All buddy, right, so Lou. Good, good buddy, Lou, there for sure. Glad to have him on again. So, so a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, we didn't really go into the, the playoff games uh, other than the Green Bay-San uh, Francisco game this past weekend. But I want to get your, your thoughts on um, obviously the other three that were played. Uh, yeah. We'll start off with Tampa and the Rams, and in my view, you know, it looked like, you know, first half, even midway through the third quarter, you know, the defending champs are, you know, they're out. I mean, this is over. And then I started thinking, okay, 27-3, to Tom Brady engineered a comeback in the Super Bowl four or five years ago when he was down 28-3. to And lo and behold, Tampa comes back in the last, I think it was a minute or minute and a half of the game, somewhere in that range, and ties the game up. 
And then, unfortunately, it was the most anticlimactic finish I've ever seen. The Rams get two big plays, uh, one to Cooper Cup right down the middle, and they end up kicking a field goal to win. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts on the, on the way that game ended? Yeah, let me get your thoughts on the way it ended and also how I felt about it. It, it You know, the, the Rams, I'll, I'll be real with you, the Rams I felt outplayed, the, let's talk about the first half, outplayed the Bucks. I felt convincingly. And the game really could have been a blowout in the first half. Had it not been for Akers fumbling the ball in the three-yard line, I believe the Rams just just bull rush the Bucks. You know, it was one of those things where the Bucks just in the first half just didn't have an answer. And I, I'm, the reason I want to start off with the first half is because what I really that really surprised me, Aaron, about this game that I really wanted to talk about on our show and to talk to you about was the Bucks seemed like the more rookie uncomposed team. They did not act like, to me, like a Super Bowl champion to start the game. They looked shook. They looked like a team that was really the Rams who had success with them. If I got the impression that the Bucks, they were in the Bucks' head. And the Bucks made a lot of, they made a, even Tom Brady, you know, and that, and that was a rookie mistake on Tom Brady's part. For those who don't know, throughout the week, Tom Brady had talked about, well, I trash talk and get away with a lot of talk with the refs, and they don't usually find me. Well, guess what? He got in, in, in the ref's face. It didn't take too long. Take that 15 yards with you on the way out the door. You know what I mean? You know, he was, and yeah. got that 15 yard. Then Sue, the Dominican Sue, who I'm not going to lie, the Dominican Sue I really love as a person, really appreciate everything he's doing on and off the field. He even liked one of my tweets, but he did make a really poor play. The first play that the Bucks actually got some pressure on Stafford on a bootleg, he gets in Stafford's face, and I even tell my son, you, you better get out of his face, man, because they're going to give you that taunting penalty. Not even 15 seconds later, he got that flag, and that was a big flag at the most opportunistic time, in time for the Bucks. And then yeah. you had Levante David make that, that penalty too which was another big penalty. So I felt as if the Bucks were very uncharacteristic. They were losing their cool. They were not they were cracking underneath the pressure. And the first half, and in my opinion, the the Rams could have just blew up the game, but they did not and they got lucky because of that fumble. Second half, the Rams were really just giving them opportunities after opportunity after opportunity. And then to your point, yes, it became anticlimactic. I thought for sure when Leonard Fournette scored that touchdown, they were going to go to overtime and win the game, they being the Bucks. But lo and behold, the what reared his ugly head was two things. Number one, I thought that was a poor play call to do an all-out blitz with that little bit of time on the clock. I thought it was a big mistake. And the second thing is it showed that the Bucks, where they really were weak throughout the whole year, was their pass defense blowing coverages and it, it reared itself in the ugly at the worst opportune time and they lost the game that they probably could have stole a win from but it wasn't meant to be it was very anticlimactic it was actually kind of sad in a way it was like would it felt better if they would have just got blown out i don't know that's debatable so it was anticlimactic and sad at the same token so i totally agree with you what are your thoughts on the way it ended well, I'll tell you what, just to sit there and watch the whole game and, and go from 
you know, uh, the feeling at, at one point in the first half and even into the third quarter of, wow, this is just a, a, a blowout to suddenly everything that could possibly go wrong for the Rams going wrong. I mean, that fumble you mentioned, again, the first half, they get that touchdown there instead of that fumble at the three-yard line, then it probably ends up being a blowout. Um, but to, to come back and tie the game and have all the momentum, I mean, there was no momentum on the Rams' side whatsoever in that last probably 20, 22 minutes of the game until that long pass down the middle with, you know, seven or eight seconds left on the clock. Um, as far as some of the storylines that come out of this, though, was this Tom Brady's last game? Was it his last game with the Bucks? We know, I think at this point, uh, last I've heard, it's likely uh, Byron Leftwich's last game as the offensive coordinator. So no matter how you dice it, this is going to be a different-looking team going into next season. Um, are the Bucks going to – do they have another quarterback in waiting? You know, there's a lot of speculation about what will happen next. And I kind of wanted to go to that same point with the, the Packers, uh, with Aaron Rodgers. I personally believe at this point the writing's on the wall uh, with his situation there for a couple of reasons. Um, one of the hot rumors last offseason was he was going to go to Denver. Denver just hired Nathaniel Hackett, who was Green Bay's offensive coordinator the last several years. And now you've got Denver with a new coach who's familiar with Aaron Rodgers. Apparently Denver's a destination that he was interested in potentially going to. And on top of that, Devontae Adams is a free agent or could be a free agent after the season. Those three guys ending up together in Denver, I think is pretty possible. So I think the Packers are probably going to be in a slight rebuild, um, not a full-blown rebuild necessarily. But when you're changing quarterbacks, you know, think about the Packers. They've only had two quarterbacks the last 30 years. That's pretty remarkable. So when you're looking at changing, you know, that position – and also losing a great wide receiver like uh, Devontae Adams, and there's probably going to be some other subtle changes in there too, both the Packers and the Bucks could be in for some big, big changes in the offseason um, that uh, kind of change the way the fans feel. So um, what are your thoughts on, on Rodgers' future with Green Bay, or lack thereof, and then also Brady with, uh, with Tampa? Well, with Aaron, I think that's more of a for sure deal that he's not coming back. I think there, I would be very, very, very surprised. I think there's about a 20% chance he comes back. I really feel as if that was Aaron Rodgers' last game playing for the Packers. I don't see why they would want to bring him back. Not that he didn't play poorly, but you kind of have to make the move at this point because, you know, you he went to the championship game last year. He didn't get out of the first round, first game this year. I mean, and you had a first round bye with home field advantage. So, you know, I think I like to your point. I think the writing is on the wall. I think if you're going to deal him, you're going to probably get probably not max value like you would have if you dealt him before this season. But you would you're going to still get very good value for him. I think you trade him at this point and you kind of have to kind of rebuild at this point. I mean, not rebuild totally like you said but kind of like a halfway rebuild because you're changing your quarterback. I think you're going to have to give Jordan Love an opportunity at this point and see what he can do. But I, 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 with the two, 
I think it's more of a foreseen future that Aaron is not coming back with the Packers. I still think he's going to play, but I don't think he's going to play for the Packers. Having said that, yeah. no, go ahead. What are your thoughts on what I said about Aaron? No, no I was going to say I, I agree with that assessment. And I think here, here's the thing. I don't think this is going to get dragged deep into the offseason like it did last year. Like we came into camp last summer with still some unanswered questions. I don't see that happening. In fact, I think that when free agency starts, which I think is around like March 7th or 8th, so that first week of March, roughly, I believe at that point, within a within a day or two, they'll have a decision made. It's going to kind of go to some degree the way that Peyton Manning's quick exit from Indianapolis into Denver ended up. Um, although he was a free agent, not necessarily the same way that Aaron Rodgers is. I do think they'll get max value for him because nowadays, if you really think about it, nowadays, you know, you look at a team like Denver or a team like Miami, they're one key player away from making that jump, kind of like Denver was 10 years ago. First year, Peyton Manning's in Denver. They go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they came up short, but they were still there. So I think if teams know they're getting that player who can get them over the top, they're going to be willing to give up top picks for them. And I definitely think that could happen in um, you know in this uh, specific situation. But I want to hear your thoughts on, on Brady now, because that one seems to be pretty rampant with the rumor mill on that too. I think with Brady, I, I watch a lot of, you know, I listen to him. He didn't go into TV and really in front of a camera and say what he was thinking, but in his podcast and kind of crypting his messages, it's, it's 50-50. I thought for sure when the game was over that he was going to come back, but more and more it's kind of sounding more 50-50. If anything, it's more leaning towards him not coming back. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I've never seen Brady kind of waffle like this throughout his career about coming back. So it is concerning. Plus, you know, Gronk is not for sure that he's coming back. Gronk said when the season ended, I know it's still, the emotion's still high. They just took a really tough loss. So you kind of have to take it at face value. But Gronk said, if, if you were to ask me right now, I'm not coming back. Now, that's not my decision, he said. I'm still going to think about it and not let the emotion go into it. But if you're asking me now, I'm saying that's it. He may not have Gronk back. As you mentioned, he may not have Byron Leftwich back. Watching Brady, his um, his entire series of the man in their mirror, the, the man in the arena, they showed nine out of 10 and Brady is like, they should have showed the 10th one already, but he, held back the 10th episode for a couple of months because he wanted to film the rest of this season, which was nonsense in my opinion. But I I just, um, I'm saying it's about 50-50. I do think at the last moment he is going to come back. I I think his trainer, his right-hand man said he's coming back. But, you know, Brady hasn't said that like that. I think Brady will come back. But I do, like I was telling uh, my kids that I don't think it's going to be a good a really great year for him, meaning if he does come back, I think he's going to kind of feel like that player who stayed one year too long because there's going to be a lot of changes in the year. Brady's the type of guy who loves structure, especially during the offseason and offensive coordinators, things like that. So he might not have the best year as far as the Bucks making it to as far as they did this year. I, you know, but I think it's 50-50. I do think he'll come back at the last moment. 
because he's a competitive spirit. But I think he's going to have to eat some crow throughout the year if he does come back. What are your thoughts on, on my assessment? I think that I, I could kind of cut, cut your assessment in two there. I think I, what I've been hearing the last few days is he may come back, but he may not come back with the Bucks. Now, there's been a lot of talk here about – I've seen a couple different sources that have said um, he might come back and get traded. The Bucks might try to trade him early in the offseason to try to maximize – their return and kind of get themselves set up for whatever they'd like to do in 2022. Um, I've even heard, believe it or not, that there's talk about him going to the 49ers uh, potentially. Um, You know, who knows what's going to happen out there. It'd be very interesting to see him get traded to San Francisco and Garoppolo come to Tampa because those guys played together, of course, uh, one and two in New England several years back. And at one point, Garoppolo was considered the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Obviously, it didn't come to fruition. But, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. And, you know, if he goes to San Francisco, it'd be an interesting situation. That's a team he grew up a fan of. He was a Phil Montana fan as a kid, like uh, like most of us were. Um, you know, to maybe go and win a Super Bowl with a third team, that's never – that'll probably never be done again if it happens. Um, it would be quite a quite a feat there to – to do something like that. And, you know, he'd probably look pretty good in a, uh, in a 49er uniform, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> we'll that. I'll, I'll play out in the off season. I think there's some very interesting, you know, we talked about this a year ago, there was going to be a lot of quarterback movement, you know, this past off season, this might be the off season where there's even more of it that happens with, with guys, you know, shifting and going to, you know, to new organizations. Um, be very interesting to see. It's going to be a very fun off season here as we get closer to that in about six uh, weeks or so. Um, yeah. The other two games, we haven't mentioned either of the other two games yet, obviously. Um, I was very, very shocked at Cincinnati. They've really been probably the most surprising team um, this playoff uh, season. Um, beating the Raiders, not necessarily a, a big surprise. I think going into uh, into Tennessee, into Nashville, and, and taking the uh, – Taking out the, the Titans, I mean, and the Titans, it was almost a similar game in a sense to, to the Packer 49er game. The outcome, the, the field goal at the end, and um, just the air being let out of a, a very loud stadium for a home crowd. Um, I'll tell you what, Joe Burrow in his second season is really having a, a great year, and Cincinnati's really set up nicely for probably the next several years. No, you're absolutely right. Joe Burrow is really – you know, projecting really high. He's had to deal with some injuries and, you know, I got to give him credit. He's got heart, you know, he's, he's him and his buddy Mixon are, are really doing something special. Cincinnati really played stellar in that game. I thought they were the, the better team that day. I mean, they picked off Tannehill on the first play of the game. I mean, I thought that yeah. was like, wow. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> on the first play of the game, you know, they just, uh, they just, they did something big. They came in Tennessee. They had Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry looked like he was healthy, and it, it really didn't matter. You know, they went ahead and did their thing. And you got to give Cincinnati a lot of credit. They, they are doing really well. I actually think I wouldn't be surprised if they beat the Chiefs too. They're doing well. Yeah, I, I think they might be the the sneaky surprise uh, team. I mean, they've got a. I, I said this. I've said this throughout the entire season, very consistently. The most exciting rookie 
in the NFL this year. You could have looked at a number of people uh, around the league, but uh, Jamar Chase, uh, the wide receiver there for the Bengals, of course, also played for uh, LSU as well uh, two years ago, helped win a national title there with Joe Burrow. I think he is, man, he's just a great receiver. Um, all the way around, great athlete, and definitely helped that team win this past uh, this past weekend. Yeah, and he got the rookie of the year. Definitely doing big things, and he's a you know he's a special player. Mixon, Jamar Chase, they have they have something going, and the defense on the Bengals too is very good too. And that's the thing: defense wins championships. They they've been bringing it on the defensive end of the ball too. So it didn't surprise me that the Bengals won. It just surprised me how they won so convincingly. Yeah, I mean it was a close game, obviously throughout. It wasn't a, a blowout in any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at the inconsistencies on Tennessee's offense, that, that was where the blowout probably came. I mean, the, the, obviously the defense on Cincinnati side played very strongly, and for that matter, it really did on on Tennessee side of the ball too. But again, you know, we talked about opportunities earlier. And the Bengals just found those opportunities. They they were able to shut down um, a decent pass game that Tennessee has. You mentioned that f- first play of the game, an interception. I mean, Tennessee was going for the home <laughs> run right off the bat, and they, you know, they they struck out instead. So um, I like the Bengals. Though I like to see them. I'd like to see them get past Kansas City this weekend. I think it'd be nice to see somebody who hasn't been to the big game. And I mean, talk about a long time. It was uh, 1988. Boomer Esiason was the quarterback the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. So it'd be nice to see them get back there. Um, they're going to have their work cut out for them against the Chiefs. And you talk about a game that was also uh, just a crazy ending. And it looked like Buffalo, in the last minute of that game, had it wrapped up. And, you know, you got a guy like Patrick Mahomes, at quarterback, you got to be very careful. You allow the Chiefs to drive down the field and tie it up and then uh, the overtime uh, situation happened. And I want to make a comment on that real quickly because sure. all through this week, as far as that overtime situation, I saw people on different postings uh, on social media posting, you know, these, these overtime rules are unfair, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not disagreeing with the premise that both teams in a NFL playoff game should at least touch the ball once in overtime. I'm not disagreeing with that, but it's almost like these people who are making these comments were, you know, shocked that that was the rule. That was the rule for both teams when the game started. It wasn't like the NFL came out and said, oh, by the way, we're changing the rules in the middle of the game. So all these people who apparently know nothing about football and how it works need to stop making comments and looking stupid online. That's just my, my pet peeve of the night. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you got to check into things. And that's what a lot don't of people don't even yeah. <laughs> you got you know one thing is you can't just read the headlines you got to actually read the story and check in what's going on because people will do that and that's part of the the media's fault too they'll give a great headline but it's miss you know it's misinformation you got to read the story and get find out what's going on you don't want to spill misinformation check into it but you know when it comes to I'm glad you brought up the the Chiefs game and 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 the overtime situation. It's like this. It's overtime. 
you got to find a way to end the game at some way. And yes, it's a it's a coin flip, but to me, the biggest thing that stood out in that game was the lack of defense. Yes, Patrick Mahomes did great. Yes, Josh Allen did their things, but you have to show some defense, man. You can't just run up and down the field all day long. And yes, they won the flip. The team who won the flip in this case was going to win because the defense was so porous. You don't. It's not automatic if you win the flip that you win the game. I hope people understand that you have to score a touchdown in order to win the game. You cannot win just on a field goal, which I think the NFL did a great thing by eliminating the fact that the first team that gets a field goal does not win. I, I like that because then it's it's more unfair. But to me, the fact that you have to actually score a touchdown, the first team that wins scores a touchdown. It is what it is. You got to play defense. You can make a play on special teams. You can make a play on defense. It's time to play some defense and stop them, at least stop them from making a touchdown. You know, that's all you have to do, stop them from making a touchdown. You can stop them on the two-yard line, five-yard line. You got to stop them from making a touchdown. So I, I, don't, I don't know how you're going to make another rule that's going to be better because when it comes to the overtime, you have to find a way to end the game at some point. You know, you got TV networks. You got, you got to pay everybody extra money. You got to find a way to end the game. What are your thoughts on that? I have a, I have a simple thought on that. I, 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 I will hold steadfast to that both teams should have the opportunity to, to touch the football. No, no doubt about that. Um, that won't change uh, in my view. Here's what I would propose to the NFL. Get rid of kickoffs in, in the overtime. Adopt a rule that is similar to the college game, but make it interesting. So, Let's start with coin toss. That's fine. One team's going to get the ball first. So you do, do the old coin toss. Um, you know, let the visiting team call heads or tails. Start at the 50-yard line. And instead of potentially having four first downs, a first and goal, blah, 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 you can get one first down, and you can also get one first and goal, meaning that you have a maximum in that span of maybe eight downs. And if you end up getting in the end zone and that possible of eight downs, then you get in the end zone. If not, you're probably in field goal range. Because really, at this point, if you're starting at the 50, you really only have to get to probably the 35, 36, 37-yard line to make it a, a reasonable field goal. And then have the other team do the same thing. And if, if after the first overtime, let's say both teams score a touchdown and they kick the extra point successfully, you know, Extra points have been moved back in the last couple of years, so they're a little bit more difficult to get. So let's say after the first overtime, both teams have scored a touchdown and both teams have kicked an extra point and you're still tied. Okay, next round, let's up the ante a little bit. If you score a touchdown, now you have to go for two. So if the first team scores a touchdown and gets two and the second team scores a touchdown and misses their two, then you have a winner. you got to make it interesting in that sense because I think that the – to me, overtime should be a, a part of football anyways in the NFL. You should never have ties. Nobody goes to a football game and, and comes home happy, uh, both sides, when you have a tie. But especially in the playoffs, when you're moving forward, all hinges on a coin toss. So I agree with those people who are saying it's, it's not right. I just don't agree with their saying, oh, oh, I can't believe this is the rule. Well, everybody knew the rule before the game started. That's kind of dumb. So – um, hopefully they change that. I think the rules committee will look at it this off season. Um, 
you got to make a change at some point. And just the things to, to give both teams an opportunity, more or less, so that it's not relying on a coin toss on who gets the ball first. What about the touchdown though? You have the touchdown part of it. Doesn't matter to me. Um, I know that rule's been in place. They started this probably, I think it was 10 years ago, because um, the first playoff game that I can remember that ended on a first possession touchdown was the Denver-Pittsburgh game when Tebow hit Thomas and, you know, ran down the field and scored a touchdown. That was the first playoff game that I can recall. It may be the first one that actually happened where the first team to score a touchdown in overtime, if, if the, sorry, the team of the first possession, if they score a touchdown, they automatically win the other team doesn't get a possession i just feel like both teams should at least get a possession of the football because what you're essentially doing by saying the first team if the first possessor of the football gets a touchdown they win that means that you've left everything up to a coin toss that, that that's to me i'd rather have the talent out there making that decision not 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 a a, a 50 cent piece that's been flipped over by you know an old referee you know <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I I guess I'd have to look into that more because, I mean, the premise is you want the game to end too more sooner than later just because, you know, more TV network, you're backing up another game. Let's say it's not a playoff game. You're potentially backing up the next team starting because you're running so late. Well, so, that would be why you would do it with, with the same um, – the same flair that you do in the college game. Now the college game, that one has altered a little bit over the last few years, but overtime in college, there is no time to the period. So the, the extra, extra time or the extra uh, overtime they're playing, there is no like 10 minute clock or 15 minute clock. So to me, you can alter it a little bit for the NFL. Um, In college, the teams, I want to say start at like the 30 or 40 yard line and they can get as many first downs until they can run out of, of, uh, of yards to be able to gain a first down. But what they started making them do this past season, once they get to the second overtime, then they make them uh, think it's go for two, and if they don't get the two, then they automatically um, would lose if the other team did get it. And then I think the third overtime they started doing this this year, it's not a situation where they play a full series. It's one play from like the five-yard line essentially like it's going for a two-point conversion. It's basically back back and forth, two-point conversion tries, and whoever gets first and the other team doesn't make it, then that's the winner. So it's kind of like a, kind of like a, in soccer, um, what's the phrase they use there? Like a, or in hockey, like a shootout at the end of the game where if the visiting team gets their goal – and the home team doesn't, then the visiting team wins and vice versa. So I think they can make some things like that and take away the time. Don't, don't, don't make it a time series. And to make it more interesting, because I know that's a concern with going into the next game, don't have a kickoff and don't allow multiple first downs. So let's say I start at the 50-yard line, right, the middle of the field, and I can only get one first down before I get into like a first and goal situation. Well, if I don't get a first down in the first three plays – then I'm probably kicking a field goal from, you know, the 40-yard line or the 41-yard line. It's a long field goal, but I could at least score some points there. And then the other side, if the other team doesn't do the same thing, you just go back and forth, but you're not having a situation where you're running a full kickoff. You might be starting from the 20, 
or the 15 or, you know, even further back, if somebody gets tackled early, you're taking the time element out of it and you're limiting the number of plays that are being made in order to, for that team to get down the field. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, you want to have both teams touch that ball, I think, <laughs> and make sure they play all night. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't think it would take very long. I think this would actually speed the, speed the game up because, again, if you're limiting the number of plays that a team can get, so if you're, again, starting at the 50, you can get one first down. So worst case and best case scenario at the same time, say you get to the 40, you get a first down, and you you get to a third and long situation, and you get to like third and third and 10, and maybe you get you know nine yards in that third down. So now you're at fourth and one. The only way you're going to get a first down at that point is if you get inside the 10-yard line. Well, I don't know any coach out there in overtime that's going to gamble with, was it 31 yards? They're going to have to make up there on one play on fourth down. So that coach is going to say, look, we're at the 41-yard line, or I'm sorry, we're at the 31-yard line. Now I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to kick a field goal here. If I don't, the other team, if they kick a field goal, then they win. So it makes it more interesting. It makes manage, managing the game uh, a little bit more, you know, there's a lot more, uh, in my opinion at least, there's a lot more um, intrigue to the management of the game. And then also, you know, what playbook do you pull out if you're an offensive coach? Do you, do you pull out your, your two-minute two minute no huddle offense? I mean, th- those are the questions you're going to have to ask. The only thing you're going to be timed on in overtime is going to be the play clock. So you're not out there against the, you know, the the regular duration like you would in a normal game running out. Yeah, definitely. We're going to call up Roger Goodell and see if we're going to make that happen. I've got him on speed dial. I actually, I, I just texted him just now. He, he was uh, he was saying that sounds like a great idea. He's going to get back to us. So, <laughs> but it was it was you know definitely that was a a shocker. I thought I thought the Bills had it when he scored that touchdown. I thought I thought they had it, but it wasn't meant to be. And Patrick Mahomes did his thing, and you know if you give him that much time, thirteen seconds, field goal range. Well, and then you and then you you left. Uh, who was was a hill they left open? Um, yeah. You can't give that guy any space at all. I mean, he he can just absolutely beat you with his speed. And all he needed was I think I think he got 31 yards in that one play that put him in field goal range to tie the game up, and then of course, you know, to win it in overtime. So my question to you: This is a pretty um, pretty pretty interesting uh, final four, if you will, in the NFL. So we have. The, the Chiefs, who've been in the Super Bowl the last two years, this is their fourth consecutive ASC title game. They're going up against Cincinnati, who hasn't been this far in, you know, a generation. Then you've got on the other side uh, the Rams, who they were just in the Super Bowl a couple of years back, um, and the 49ers, who were just there two years ago. Neither team won, of course. Um, who, who wins? Like, wh- give me your thoughts on on how this game's going to play out. The Chiefs game is going to be a, a tight game. It's not going to be like it was before. It's going to be a, a more contested, competitive, lower-scoring game against the Bengals. I do believe, though, as much as I want the Bengals to win this game, I just think that this one's tough. I just I, I think that the – wow. I like the Bengals defense over the Chiefs defense. And I just, I just think the Bengals are going to find a way to win this game, believe it or not. 
I, I feel like the Bengals, because of their defense is being a little bit stronger, they're going to make a play, and they're going to double up Tyreek. I think the Bengals are going to win this game because on a close, close, close game. That's on – you want me to give both sides of, of who do I think? On the so, so who again, just to make sure I heard you correctly there, who, who do you have on the AFC? The AFC, I got the Bengals winning a, a very close game. Okay, and how about the uh, the NFC side? NFC side, I, I think the Rams are going to win the game. And as much as I like the 49ers game, I love what they're doing. Garoppolo is actually – he hasn't been perfect, but he's been manageable. I just think that the Rams are, are fi- clicking on all cylinders. They have a very, very solid defense. They remind me of the Bucks, a younger version of the Bucks. The Bucks are like got a little bit old this year. I feel as if the Rams are kind of like similar to the Bucks, but they are the younger, stronger team. Like I've been telling you on our show for many, many weeks, the Rams wanted to be like the Bucks. They didn't say it, but I could I could read between the lines. They wanted to be like the Bucks and play in a Super Bowl in their home stadium, just like the Bucks did in SoFi Stadium. That was motivation for them. I believe they're going to get at least to the Super Bowl, and and I I believe the Rams are going to beat the 49ers. I, I think that this is going to be a more higher scoring game, but I could see it. I could see it being kind of a blowout. I see the Rams winning this game kind of big and convincingly, I would say, at least convincingly. So I have the Rams beating the 49ers and I have the Bengals beating the Chiefs. Okay, that's a, that's a good pick. I, I certainly can see the reasoning behind it too. Um, I'm going to go with um, – I mean, it, it's easy to sit here and say the, Ram, uh, the, uh, the Chiefs in the AFC just because they've been there. This is their fourth consecutive trip to the AFC title game. They have all the pieces uh, to, to do it again. And they really were probably one of the best teams in the NFL the last uh, half of the season we just had. I just feel like the Bengals have been underappreciated here, especially at the end of the season. And even in these two playoff games, they've already won. Um, so I'm going to go out on a, a – a, hopefully strong limb here. And I'm going to pick Cincinnati to win the AFC. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a battle all game. It's going to come down to defensive uh, plays and finding a way to neutralize the speed that Kansas City has. And also Joe Burrow is going to step up and make some big, big plays on offense for sure. I think once you start handing the ball off to Mixon, though, you know, that's a really good combination they have there between their run and pass game. You can, you know, deke the defense into they're going to run again. And then you got Chase who's down the field and, you know, they can get some big plays on offense as we saw on these last two playoff games for the Bengals. So I think basically what's going to happen is the Bengals are going to beat the Chiefs at their own game. Not going to be an easy one, but I'm I'm going to pick uh, Cincinnati. And on the NFC side, I actually think these two teams are a little more evenly matched than people realize. Um, for the 49ers, this is a team that most people would agree probably shouldn't have even been in the playoffs, to be real honest with you. If we go back to when you and I were talking about the 49ers back in, like, November, like before Thanksgiving, the 49ers weren't even really on the playoff radar at that point. They were they were a, kind of a, a fringe team, um, and I definitely think they, they played 
they almost gave that game away against uh, Dallas. There's no doubt about that. Dallas came back and, and made that closer than it should have been. But good teams find a way to win football games. And I, I do believe that just their past experience, you know, and, and I know they were in the Super Bowl two years ago. It's not the exact same team, but there's some similar players there. I look at the Rams, and yes, they've gotten a boost from uh, you know Odell Beckham, and they've certainly got a boost from um, from having uh, the new quarterback. Uh, his name is slipping my mind Stafford. right now. Stafford. Yeah, <laughs> Matthew Stafford. Um, you know, he certainly have have a boost from having him there in a new position. Have, have been a Detroit Lion his entire career up until now. Um, I just I, I feel like there's a, a, a destiny for the 49ers this year. They, they were the underdog in both their games. Same thing with the Bengals. They were the underdog in both their playoff games. And they've come through both of them, you know, close games, of course, in both situations. I just – I feel like those are the two teams that are going to win. And this is going to be a rematch of the uh, of the Super Bowl in, uh, I think it was 89, 88 or 89. Basically a rematch of Super Bowl 23 um, is what this is going to come down to. Um, the other two teams are, are certainly great, the Rams and the, and the Chiefs. Both teams have been there. Uh, I know the 49ers have been there recently. I just feel like those are the two teams that are going to find a way to win, and that's what good teams do. Yeah, I kind of hope you're right with the 49ers because I really don't want to see the Rams, especially beat, beating my team, the, the Bucks, go forward and then tie what the Bucks did. Even if they don't win the Super Bowl, let's say if they advance to the Super Bowl, they would be the only two teams then, the Bucks and the Rams, who have played – in the home stadium in the Super Bowl. So if they win this round, they're already tied with the Bucks in the record. So I hope you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if the – I actually would be surprised if the 49ers beat the Rams. I would be. Not that they can't do it, but I just feel as if the Rams are, are starting to get hot. If they don't kind of like mess up a whole bunch in the second half or right before the second half with that fumble – that could have been a flat-out blowout with the Bucks, And that just shows you how good they are. Von Miller, they they got a great offensive line. I mean, the Bucks really did not give them much pressure, and that's what they kind of do is give – they're known for giving pressure. Their offensive line is sick, that, that being the Rams. And they got, they got some, some ballers back there. Aaron Donald, Von Miller – they were really doing their thing against the Bucks, so I, I hope you're right. I really do because I don't want the the Rams to make it Super Bowl. But and I'm not hating on Garoppolo. You know, if the kid doesn't force the ball, because I saw the interception coming, he forced the ball. If he doesn't force the ball, they have a very good shot of winning the game. Yeah, yeah. Just to throw this out there, though, uh, obviously the 49ers and the Rams are in the same division in the NFC West. Um, January 9th, San Francisco won in overtime in the final week of the season to beat the Rams 27 to 24. And you go back to week, uh, whatever November 15th was, and the 49ers beat the Rams 31 to 10. So the Rams lost two games already this season to the, to the 49ers. So that just throwing that out there too, as there's a history between these two teams already this season. No, you're right. The, the 49ers do, definitely do have the Rams number this season, but 
it's hard to beat a team two times in a season. To beat them a third time, that's to be determined. And I just think that the Rams are, I think, better now. I feel like they've gotten better. I think Matthew Stafford has gotten more confidence. He's got to feel confident now that he's beat Tom Brady because, quite frankly, he outplayed Tom Brady in that game. Yes, they were giving more pressure on the Bucks, but the, the Bucks did not they, – the Bucks folded underneath the pressure, and that includes Tom Brady. I felt like they, the Rams were in their head, and they played that way. The Bucks were really shook. And when that first quarter actually happened, not even the second quarter of the game, I was not very confident about the Bucks winning that game. And it got worse as the game went on. So I hope you're right. I really do hope you're right, Aaron. Well, time will tell, certainly on that. So um, obviously next week uh, we'll have a lot to talk about with uh, the Super Bowl matchup. Um, I believe there will be some Hall of Fame stuff regarding the NFL Hall of Fame. Well, that was, was that a little while back. When do they announce the NFL Hall of Fame? Is that during the Super Bowl weekend or the weekend before? I think it's the weekend before. I could okay. be wrong on that. So we won't have it next week. We'll have it the weekend uh, of the Super Bowl. That show will be the, the night we are able to talk about that. Now, speaking of Hall of Fame, <laughs> January <Yeah>. every year. <laughs> that's a good segue. Uh, January every year is uh, Major League Baseball. Um, as the National Baseball Hall of Fame announces its election for um, new players coming in. And this one didn't necessarily surprise me. There was a lot of um, people online making comments, as they always do. Uh, the only player to get in this time was on his first ballot, David Ortiz, uh, longtime Boston Red Sox DH and first baseman. Um, I personally think David Ortiz deserved to be in based on his numbers. Um, certainly one of the great clutch postseason hitters in baseball history. Had some great, amazing seasons with Boston um, and, uh, you know, just put up great numbers his entire career. One of the all-time best DHs in baseball history, too. I want to get your thoughts on first David Ortiz getting uh, elected, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the guys who didn't get in this time around or guys that fell off the ballot and then some guys that may be benefited because of who's falling off the ballot this year. I absolutely agreed with David Ortiz being a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think for the speaking about just about David Ortiz, the voters got this one right, and they didn't play the ego game where say, I'm not going to vote for him the first time. They did the right thing. They voted for David Ortiz. He was deserving of, the, of being at the Hall of Fame. The guy has done so much for Boston, winning those championships, Anytime you're a big thorn on my side and I'm a Yankee fan, that shows that you're a great player. And David Ortiz is clutch as they can be as a DH. He made some great home runs when the, when his Red Sox needed it. If I had a ballot and I had a vote, I definitely would have voted for David Ortiz for the Hall of Fame. And I'm a Yankee fan saying that. David Ortiz definitely deserved to get in there. I am not going to hate on David Ortiz. I even tweeted out that I congratulate him. I even tweeted it out that not only did I congratulate him, I took a shot against Dan Shaughnessy, who is the reporter for the Red Sox, big time for the Boston. He said he was not going to vote, and he did not vote for David Ortiz because there was some quote-unquote suspicion about him doing performance-enhancing drugs. Major League Baseball said 
that that test was erroneous. Do not hold that against him. But what um, Shaughnessy still said he was not going to vote for David Ortiz, and he did not. David Ortiz has some. So I am glad. I am happy for David Ortiz that he made it to Hall of Fame, and he is well-deserving of it. And for that, I'm going to give him a round of applause. So those are my yeah, thoughts my, on David Ortiz making it. My, my thoughts are, are pretty much the same now. As far as uh, Dana Shaughnessy, I, I, I know who he is just because of his presence on um, – ESPN. I think he's on MLB Network occasionally. He has the right to to make those decisions. That's part of. I mean, you, you're not required to vote for somebody. Um, he has that right to do that. I don't think that necessarily um, he needs to come out and and mention that. And I think we went through something like this a few few weeks back on maybe towards the end of last year about another um, person in in the in the ability to vote for Hall of Famers. Keep it to yourself. There's no need other than other than the publicity you're going to get from it, which could be positive or negative depending on what side you're on, as to whether that's relevant or not. So that that that's the only thing I would maybe say about him is keep the vote to yourself on who you voted for. Um, people aren't out there. I, I don't go buy baseball cards with Dan O'Shaughnessy's picture on it. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> nobody cares about who who he is at this point. So, but he has that right. I'll, I'll defend him in that situation and. At the same time, David Ortiz has a right to say, hey, I don't really care for what your opinion was uh, or what you had to say. And I think he was probably more or less kind of repeating the same thing I just said there. Like, why did your – I don't care that you didn't vote for me necessarily, but why Why does it have to get out publicly where now everybody's talking about it? Um, I think this is an interesting year because, you know, the Hall of Fame in baseball is a very select – very, very select fraternity. Um, it should be hard to get into the Hall of Fame. It shouldn't be, you know, every guy who, who ever played that had a decent career gets in. The, there should be guys that are, you know, really, really good players that don't quite make it in. Now, you can look at that a couple different ways. Now, David Ortiz just got in on his first ballot. I think there are guys out there who are deserving of the Hall of Fame but not necessarily the first time around. Guys, you have to maybe wait a little bit. So there's going to be players that are going to fall off the ballot because either their time ran out, and we'll talk about those here in a moment, or because they didn't get enough of the vote. Um, they, they fell be below the percentage to, to stay on the ballot. They are no longer eligible under the traditional terms. But there is also the Veterans Committee, which can vote a player in two, and we saw that happen. Um, actually, we've seen that happen the last several seasons or several years. Um, so I think there's guys that are going to get in that way. Now, the big thing that happened this year, there's three, by the numbers alone, sure-caliber sure Hall of Fame guys that fell off the list, actually four in my opinion. Um, so that would be Barry Bonds, of course, Roger Clemens, Kirk Schilling, certainly, and Sammy Sosa. All four of those guys fell off the list um, for one reason or another. Three of them are really more from the PED era of, uh, of uh, baseball. Um, I personally will, will hold steadfast on this. I don't believe that a player who was ever, I, I don't want to say accused, but ever in, in – 
in serious doubt the way those three guys I just mentioned were, or three of those four guys were, were should get in the traditional way. I think they should sweat a little bit personally. Um, but uh, whether they're going to get in through the Veterans Committee in the future, time will tell because those voters are different than the voters that we see in the traditional uh, Hall of Fame. I, I want to get your take on, on that because I know we've gone back and forth on this uh, in the last year or so. What, what are your thoughts on that? I definitely do think if it was me voting, I would have voted for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Those two would have gotten my vote to make it to the Hall of Fame. And the reason being is because those two gentlemen, to me, are Hall of Fame players in lieu of the suspicion of using performance drugs. I just think that their numbers are just so overwhelming, it's hard for you. 500 home runs, 500 steals, for me, gets Barry in. It doesn't have to be 700 home runs, which he has, 700 plus. I just feel as if there's exceptions to every rule, and to me, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are exceptions to the rule. They're Hall of Famers in my book because there's only suspicions with them. With A-Rod, I would, as much as I like A-Rod as far as a person, off, in, in certain respects off the field, I would never probably vote for A-Rod on a ballot for the Hall of Fame. I just would not because you failed not just one, but two t- drug tests. And then you went ahead to try to cover up you getting you failing the test. You went ahead and did a whole bunch of shenanigans that's, that's been well-documented. I watched a documentary. The name of the documentary is Screwball. It's a great documentary. I would never vote for Alex Rodriguez. And I have his autograph. I think he's a cool guy. But one thing has nothing to do with the other. I would never vote for Alex Rodriguez for the whole two tests. There is no – the door is shut as far as that. As far as as far as Sammy Sosa, he's borderline. As far as Kurt Schilling, I just think, you know, no hate on Kurt Schilling. I just think he's a very – like you said, it's not easy to make it to the Hall of Fame. I think he's the Hall of very good – I don't think Hall of Fame. There is a difference between a David Ortiz and, I, in my opinion, the way I see a David Ortiz making the Hall of Fame than I do a Kurt Schilling. I think Kurt Schilling is a guy who's very good. I think if on the right, not as much competition. If he let one more year on the ballot, I think he would probably make it next year. But he's kind of the type of guy that would need kind of help to get in there based on the competition. So Kurt Schilling, I, I, I would say no. The borderline, I, I think very good, but not Hall of Fame good. Maybe if he had the right type of year, possibly. But I, my biggest beef is I agree with a lot of people. Baseball got it wrong. They should have at least voted for the last year, Barry Bonds and Roger Clems in the Hall of Fame. And that's why baseball takes a hit a lot of times on Public perception. What are your thoughts on those two gentlemen, or all of the guys who did, who are off the bat or ballot or didn't make it? Well, I think that with with all, with uh, Bonds and Sosa, um, as much as I admired those guys when I was younger, I think the cloud of suspicion. It's not like there was just one or two, you know, accusations against them. There was a lot of things that were were accusatory towards them. The big thing was the uh, the, uh, the Forget the name of the senator that did the probe uh, in 2007. Was that the the Mueller, the Miller report? Is that what it was? I can't Miller remember the name. Yeah. Yep. yeah the, so the Miller report 
Um, Mitchell Report. Which, Mitchell Report. Mitchell Report. Yeah, there we go. I don't know where. Yeah. Mueller was a different one. <laughs> that was that was more <laughs> recent in politics. So I apologize to our fans for getting that one mixed up there. So the Mitchell Report that came out in uh, December of 2007. That's been see 14 years ago now. Um, when you get implicated that way and you have that many individuals that are coming out and under under uh, you know the circumstances of them testifying giving out that kind of information and and other people corroborating those stories, that is enough, in my opinion, that'd be enough to get an indictment in the real world um, into at least a grand jury. So I I look at it that way. Um, Their body of work, in my opinion, based on that was tainted enough that even though they were never convicted or never, never found to have failed a task, there's enough of, a cloud, enough of a cloud of suspicion around them that it, it hurt their case. Now, I agree with you 100%. Barry Bonds is a great player. I mean, I remember watching him 30 years ago when he was still with the Pirates. And just the, the talent that he had as a, as a hitter, as a runner, um, you talk about 500-500, he's the only guy ever to do that. He had a 40-40 season, which is a very rare occurrence for a, a hitter. Um, I agree with you on those points. I just I, I feel like you know, you cheated the game, and to some degree, I mean, the same thing with Sosa, Clemens. Clemens is probably the worst of the of the three uh, with some of the things that he was accused, of, of course, of of doing. Now, you also have the other side that's going to say, hey, you know, they never actually failed a test. So I can see both um, both sides to it. 100%, I agree. Um, this, the cloud of suspicion is the thing that makes me nervous about allowing somebody in. Um, will they get in? I don't know. It, time will tell. The, the Veterans Committee, you know, will make those decisions in the future. Um, but I want to point out something that we just talked about there before about uh, Kurt Schilling um, and comparing his numbers to someone who was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. So uh, Roy Halladay, unfortunately, uh, beyond his passing, was inducted into the Hall of Fame just a few years back. And he was, in his career, 203 wins. 105 losses, uh, a little over 2,100 strikeouts, and a 3.38 earned run average. So Kurt Schilling, in his career, had uh, 216 wins, 146 losses. He had over 3,000 strikeouts. So he had 1,000 strikeouts more than Hall of Famer Roy Halladay. And he also had an ERA actually right around the same. So he should be on, on the Hall of Fame. If we're going to have one guy who goes in with, fewer wins than Schilling, then that certainly should get Schilling in. And then a guy who actually fell off after this first uh, first year of eligibility was Tim Hudson, who played for the uh, A's, Braves, and Giants in his career. He won he won actually more games than both those guys did. He won 222 games in his career, had an ERA of about three and a half, and had just a little over 2,000 strikeouts. So my point is this. If you're going to compare eras, these guys all played in the same time frame, um, all three won a World Series at some point during their career uh, with, uh, with various different teams. I think uh, Schilling was with the Diamondbacks and the, uh, the Red Sox. Uh, Hudson was with the Giants. And um, Halliday did it with the Phillies. They all have about the same amount of wins. And Schilling has 1,000 more strikeouts than a Hall of Fame pitcher. You're comparing apples to apples at this point as far as the time frame. It's not like we're talking about 50 years ago 
and saying that 200 wins back then is the same as 200 wins now. It certainly is not. I think he gets in. I, I think he, he, he deserves it. And I think probably some of the reasons he didn't get voted in could have been, you know, some of the things he says outside of the game. I very well could have been. Or the, the writers just didn't feel like he deserved it. But I, I think if you're going to get a guy like Roy Halladay in, then my argument would be, okay, well, then Tim, Tim Hudson and Kurt Schilling should be in too. That's just my two cents on it. I hear what you're saying. I just think I think Roy Halladay, though, was something special. And he was something special for quite a while until his you know, unfortunate passing. I think that had to do with it. I think where Roy Halladay, people really, really love Roy Halladay as a person on and off the field. I think Kurt Schilling, he does get very controversial. He steps into the political arena a lot. That sometimes bites him in the rear butt. I think that had something to do with it, too. His also his comment saying, well, don't vote me in. Don't vote me in. You know, that stuff comes back to bite you. Your words have power. And just like Tom Brady said, oh, I, the refs let me get away with a lot more stuff. You boasted a bragging. Well, guess what? 15 yards, take it on the way. Take it. Don't let that hit you on the way out. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your, words, your words matter. And I think Kurt Schilling hurt himself because of that, some of that stuff. But um, I, I just think Kurt Schilling is a very good player. He's like borderline. I think Roy Halladay, to me, is not as much borderline. He was very special for, yes, the numbers. I know they look at numbers a lot, but I think there's a it factor, too, that voters consider, too, that makes a guy like, okay, that guy's a Hall of Famer. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There, there, there's that it factor. And David Ortiz had that it factor. That's why he's going into, into Cooperstown. And, you know, uh, I think David Ortiz had that it factor. It, it, to me, it was very, very easy. If I had a ballot in front of me, I would have voted – Definitely for, for David Ortiz, I would have voted for Barry Bonds and, and Roger Clements. And I would have I would have voted for those three. Kurt Schilling, I'm not as much so Sosa no because he was his numbers are very good, but if you look at it, his numbers really got good towards the end of his career. Not like Barry Bonds, who really had stellar numbers throughout his career and exploded the last couple of years, but throughout his career he had Hall of Fame numbers. And to me, Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer. Like, make no smoke about it. Is there a cloud of suspicion with him? Yes. Is, is there something that I think he possibly did? Yes. But the guy was a, is a star player, no matter where you look at it. You cannot tell me he took some type of steroids and he got that great. No, he, the guy was a great player. Remember, Barry Bonds chokes up on his back. I, I don't know if everybody knows that. He chokes up a couple of inches on his bat. The guy has tremendous hand-eye coordination. He's just a sensational player. I, I just yeah. think he's just a sensational player. I don't think he needs – I do I think he did something to keep his, his career going towards the end? Yeah, he probably did. But I don't think he needed that to make it to Hall of Fame. No, I mean, that, that's a fair point there for sure. Um, as far as, you know, did he need to do that? Um, I mean, that, that's what he decided to do, whether he did or didn't. So um, I think the interesting <laughs> thing, though, is this. Sosa, Sosa had over 640 home runs, I believe, in his career, uh, 620, somewhere in that range. So those numbers, just, just taking all the other stuff out, would certainly have gotten him into the Hall of Fame. 
Yeah. There's never been a five. There's never been a 500 home run hitter that's not gotten in. Um, it was eligible without the suspicion. Unfortunately, there's going to be several that probably don't get in. Sosa will be one. Um, Bonds will probably be one at least for a while. Um, and there's uh, several others as well. A Rod certainly isn't going to get there. Um, certainly, I, I, I think he's going to have a hard time ever gaining the amount of votes. But the interesting thing is, you have four guys who are falling off the ballot this year that were guys that were kind of in the kind of Sosa was at the bottom. He was 18 and a half percent. He certainly wasn't going to go any further. It was his final year on the ballot. Final year on the ballot for Schilling, he got 58.6 percent of the vote. Um, Clemens 65.2 and 66% for Barry Bonds. The thing that this benefits is there's some other guys that are going to springboard because those four guys that are not going to be on the ballot next year means the ballot is going to have a much, much different look. And I think the guys that are going to benefit are Scott Rowland, who already has 63.2% of the vote this year. So it's not out of the question to think that he's not going to get, you know, 11.8% more of the vote next year and potentially get into the Hall of Fame. Um, there's a few other guys that I think are going to, maybe not in 2023, but maybe 2024, will have made up that much of a gap. you got Todd Helton, who had a great career with the Colorado Rockies. Uh, Billy Wagner, who was a great closer for 15 years for a handful of different teams. And a guy that I personally think, because I watched his entire career on TV, Andrew Jones, uh, he actually increased. He, he went from 7% in 2018 to four, just a hair over 41% of the vote this year. So obviously he's still got a ways to go. He's a little over halfway there. I think Andrew Jones is going to make up some big, big ground in the next uh, one to two years. And I think he's eventually going to be a hall of famer. Yeah. I think he's trending up and he actually had more percentage than, than A-Rod just goes to show you that definitely A-Rod, uh, I don't think A-Rod's getting in, but I, I, it's good that these guys are trending up, and I think Billy Wagner has a very good shot. I hope he gets it. I think I looked at the class that's on the ballot, and I, the only person I think really had a really good shot would be Carlos Beltran. Yeah, it would be a new uh, a new candidate going into going into next year, so that'll be – That'll be quite an interesting one. I don't know if he's going to be first ballot or not. Um, I would say there's actually a seriously good chance if Scott Rowland doesn't get in next year, there might not be a Hall of Fame class in 2023. That's, that's a very strong possibility. But I certainly see trending upward Rowland, uh, Helton, Wagner, uh, Andrew Jones. I think you'll see a little bit more towards Gary Sheffield here. There was some suspicion around him at one point. Um, He's a 500 home run guy as well. A-Rod, there's no way he gets in. Um, Jeff Kent, Jeff Kent had some, some things about him that I think came out probably 15 years ago that were uh, not helping his cause. And Manny Ramirez failed, I believe, two PED tests. So Manny Ramirez, <laughs> it's surprising to me that he's been, been getting, uh, you know, a somewhat decent percentage of votes. I'm looking down the rest of the current list for guys that were still – on the ballot this year. And, you know, I think that there might be two guys potentially get in next year, but it's going to be kind of hard pressed if the, um, if the voters are going to give them enough of the vote. Yeah. So things are definitely turn around in hall of fame and 
So my question to you would be, if you had a vote, just so I'm clear, for this class, who would you have voted for? Uh, for the one we just had, I would have voted for David Ortiz. Um, I'll just go right down the list of the, the top players that were still getting at least 5% of the vote. And then I'll look at the ones that were beyond that. David Ortiz, yes. Scott Rowland, yes. Kurt Schilling, yes. Todd Helton, yes. Billy Wagner, yes. Andrew Jones, yes. Sheffield, yes. Um, let's see. No to A-Rod. No to Kent. No to Manny Ramirez. I'm not so keen on Omar Vizquel. He was a great defender, but offensively he wasn't exactly a spark. Uh, Pettit. Pettit was in the Mitchell Report, too. As much as Pettit seemed like a good guy off the field, that, that really put a cloud of suspicion over him. Jimmy Rollins is one that's kind of tough for me. He, he's kind of on the fence. Uh, no to Abreu. No to Mark Burley. Uh, no to Torrey Hunter. And then there were some guys that fell off. Joe Nathan, I'd say no. You already heard my argument for Tim Hudson before. Tim Lincecum didn't play long enough. Ryan Howard's a guy that really surprised me that he fell off. Um, although his best years were in like a five-year span, and he kind of was a mediocre player after that. And Mark Deshera was another one that kind of surprised me. He was on a Hall of Fame trajectory at one point, and then he had some injury years when he was with the Yankees towards the end there, and that really kind of kind of hurt him. Um, Morneau, the Twins, um, no, I wouldn't have voted for him. Papelbon, no. Prince Fielder would have been a Hall of Famer had he not had the neck injury uh, several years ago. Terzinski, not at all. Carl Crawford, no, and same thing for – uh, Jake Peavy, I wouldn't have wouldn't have had a vote for him at all. What about the two guys, Barry and um, and uh, Roger? No, no, I would I would not have uh, would not have voted for them. Okay, and I, you know what? I would have voted for those two, but I also would have voted for Omar Vizquel. I would have I believe Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer. Believe it or not, I know what you're saying about the offensive. Omar Vizquel, that guy's a is a bad, bad man. That guy can play some serious, serious defense. I mean, I don't think I think he holds a record of gold gloves or something like that. Phenomenal player. I would have voted for Omar Vizquel. Let me pull his numbers up here. So he played from '93 to 2001, and let's see here. Wasn't a home run hitter, obviously. He was a uh, all slap hitter. Mostly, he was a slap hitter. He was a hitter. Now, it says here he has twenty, a little over 2,800 hits. So he was just a hair shy of 3,000. So you know I would actually probably – I would change my vote on him. I would actually vote for, for Omar Vizquel. I would too. I would I would vote for Omar Vizquel. That guy's a Hall of Famer, Mike. Yes, he's not a big hitter. He's. I look at him as more being a slap hitter, situational hitter at best, but his defense was remarkable. I think he went like a year without even making an error, like – Man, I would have voted for Omar Vizquel. That that's. Does he have any more years on the ballot? Not sure. Let's see. His last year he played. What it says here is, um, and I'm using Wikipedia by the way as a resource. So whatever that's <laughs> worth. Uh, he last played in 2012. Um, so you figure six years after that. So he was first on the ballot in 2018. So he's okay. let's see four years in. So he's got six years left. Now that's subject to him not um, falling under 5% of the vote. And this year he got 23.9%. So, again, with these other big names that are coming off the ballot, some of these other guys are going to springboard quite a, quite a bit ahead because you don't have quite as many 
I mean, bigger names, if you will, to to look at. Yeah, and people are always looking at the big names. Like Omar would have gotten my vote. Wow, so you you wouldn't have gave uh, Barry and Roger the, the nod. That's interesting. No, I'm 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 sticking sticking to my guns on that. I I've, I've really felt that way all along. Got guys who were is is immersed in the murky waters of the accusations they had against them over the years should sweat it out. Now, if they get in in the veterans committee, that's that's fine. I you know that is what it is. But um, you know, and and Clemens, you know, he, he to, to what he had to say about it, he's like, I, I never played baseball to get into the Hall of Fame, so somewhat understandable. And of course, you know, Barry Bonds has had a big personality for his entire career. He's been uh, somewhat controversial. He's never been afraid to um, speak his mind, for sure. I think that's uh, something we can all agree on. But he's also never been afraid to, um, you know, say say a side of uh, how things have gone. And at the same time, he's also never been afraid to let the people around him know as well. You know, there's that famous incident in, I believe it was 91 or 92, when he was with the Pirates, where he and Jim Leland got into a huge um, uh, profanity-laced, uh, you know, back and forth <laughs> in a spring training uh, backfield um, in, uh, I believe it was Bradenton. So if anybody wants to look that up, it's uh, on YouTube. It's kind of an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, they both were in a bad mood, and it, it really boiled <laughs> over that day. It's about as big of a, a spillover that you can see right there. In fact, I'm going to watch that tonight. <laughs> but one thing, I did want to go ahead and make sure that I give uh, Barry Bonds a lot of credit. I did invite him to come on our show. He did something very, very classy that I thought was really cool early when they made the announcement of who was getting in. It was just the one person, David Ortiz. He put a post on Instagram uh, congratulating David Ortiz. I made a comment on that post and said, you know, it was very classy of you to do that. You know, you didn't take shots at, at Major League Baseball or anything. You just congratulated David Ortiz. And uh, I said it was very classy. I would love to hear your side of, this, of you know, what ha- the events of everything. I didn't say, I, I didn't say, hey, I wanted to hear just your side of you not making it. I said I wanted to get your perspective on everything that has happened today. If you're willing to do so, we would love to have you on our show. I did not get a reply, but I'm still hopeful that Barry will – Bless us with the visit. I'm saying that I would give Barry the nod. You're saying no. That's the great thing about this. It's a good way that we have a difference of opinion. We would love to hear Barry's side of the story, hear what he has to say. If you would love to uh, go ahead and join us on the show, but I did send an invitation because uh, I thought that was very classy of him to congratulate David Ortiz on his induction. What are your thoughts about Barry doing that? No, that's a great thing. I mean, uh, that's that's really the best thing you can do at this point is be you know, happy for those who did get in. So, yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. That definitely is a very classy move for sure. Yeah, and, and with Roger, with his comments, it seemed to me like he already came to – it seemed – the way his comments – I deciphered his comments were I kind of – I knew I was going to cheat. That's how I kind of read these comments. So I kind of said, okay, I'm going to get my money, get my fame, get my win. And the chance of me making a Hall of Fame is probably going to be nil because of me doing something. Those, That's how I kind of read those comments that, okay, I put in my back pocket many, many years ago, 10 years ago that I wasn't going to make it. 
well, why would you put it in your back pocket that you made you weren't going to make it 10 years ago when your numbers, you were dominating? Like, you're going to tell me you weren't thinking about it, that you were going to make it to the Hall of Fame? Yes, you may not have been playing just to make it to the Hall of Fame, but hey, it's kind of like when I had a debate with somebody about being number one. You don't just be number one and you have all these sales and sales and just think that, okay, wow, I have a shot to be number one. You have to be thinking about that because there's no way you're going to have that much success and not think about it. So I look at those in terms of those comments that maybe I did do something I shouldn't have done, and because I did those things, I know I'm not going to get the Hall of Fame, but in the brief time, I'm going to have a lot of wins, be dominating, get a lot of contracts, a lot of money, and that's just going to be the, you know, the consequence to my actions. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to think that at some point in his career, he had to be thinking about being a Hall of Famer. I mean, look, he has 354 wins. Um, 300 wow. alone is amazing. Um, he's one win behind Greg Maddox uh, in that. Maddox at 355. You think about all-time pitchers. I mean, he was only nine wins away from tying um, Warren Spahn, who's the winningest left-handed pitcher of all time. Um, so I, I got to think, you know, you look at Clemens' career and how it, how it went. Uh, he was in Boston from 84 to 96. He went to Toronto for two years. Didn't really like the way Toronto was building or putting their team together. Asked for a trade, ended up in New York with the Yankees, finally won a World Series. And at the end, kind of gave the Yankees a little bit of a, you know, I, I think him and and, uh, and Steinbrenner didn't really see eye to eye and ended up going to Houston and had a really, I mean, at, at 42 years old, had some great years. Now I say that because he had some great seasons in, in, in Houston. That's when all this, you know, talk of steroids uh, was kind of coming uh, out um, as the Mitchell report indicates there. So was that really Roger Clemens? you know, on his own fruition, or was that Roger Clemens on his own, plus a little bit of extra juice in there? Um, if you're to believe the Mitchell report, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, and, and I I think Roger is kind of like Barry. He, he definitely, in my opinion, did have Hall of Fame talent and would have made it in lieu of some of the suspicion. But I think towards the end of his career, I think he he probably did do something. That's my opinion but I, I still would have voted for him because the numbers are just so, so staggering. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like 354 wins, like you're not going to think you're going to make to the Hall of Fame. I know that you may not be sleeping every night thinking about it, but you're going to be thinking about it. I mean, that's what competitors do. You were dominating. I'm talking about Roger Clemens for a long period of time, even when he was a young pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, as you mentioned. He was yeah, just, you don't see guys like him come along very often. Um, I can I can name power pitchers. He's a true power pitcher. Um, third, I think, all-time in strikeouts at this point. Um, but you think of, of generational power pitchers. You know, you think of Nolan Ryan, uh, Bob Gibson, Roger Clemens, and then in more recent years it would be Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and – I don't know, maybe Jacob DeGrom um, of a more recent generation. So these are guys that don't come along very often. Once in a generation kind of thing, maybe sometimes there's a, a skip in there somewhere. So 
as far as a power pitcher and a guy that, you know, I would have loved to have seen pitch in the prime of his career. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the absolute best. And, you know, everybody wanted to be Nolan Ryan. If you were a pitcher, you know, growing up in the seventies or eighties, he was the guy that everybody wanted to be. And that was, that was Roger Clemens, uh, you know, idol as a kid was Nolan Ryan. So, um, you know, interesting that they both came from the same part of the country. And uh, at one point, uh, they both ended up pitching for the Houston Astros, too. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, and Roger Clemens, to his credit, he said he was going out as a power, power pitcher, came into the power pitcher, he went out, you know, towards the, the end of Smoltz's career. He had to alter his career. But Roger Clemens was poor all the way through. And that's, like you said, that doesn't happen too often because you lose a couple of miles per hour off that fastball, guys start tagging you up. But Roger Clemens, you know, he did it. You know, he, I mean, like I said, he's a, he's a, one of those players that don't come along too often. But uh, I took those comments as maybe, yeah, he probably did do something knowing that he wasn't going to make it because he kind of like put it in his back pocket already so many years ago that it, so that his comments were kind of like eye raising, like okay, this this is making you seem more guilty than less guilty. You should have just said, you know, I congratulate Dave Ortiz, and just kept it short. <laughs> I just <think>. yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of revealed a lot by saying so much. You didn't. You kind it, his comments to me made it seem like he was more guilty than anything. Yeah, no, that that's I agree with that. Yeah, so in that regard, maybe you're right. <laughs> but, you know, I still would love to hear not the PR version of what they have to say, the real version of what Roger and Barry Bonds really feel about them not making it to the Hall of Fame. Like, don't don't give me the PR version. Tell me yeah. how you really feel, you know? Just be, be real with it. Like, at this point, because I don't, I don't think the veterans committee are going to vote those two in. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't see it happening. I think that was ten years on the ballot. You didn't make it. I think that's a wrap. I, I think I don't think. And I, I highly doubt it. Just to add to that, um, you know, to give a direction on the, the veterans committee. That's a newer thing. That's only been around for maybe ten years, uh, roughly, uh, as far as their vote to allow players in um, a guy that never was technically convicted of anything, only accused uh, was shoeless Joe Jackson a hundred years ago with the, the Black Sox in the um, throwing the games uh, scandal. And he was banned for life though. He was never technically convicted of anything. Um, it was more accusatory than anything else, at least from the information that I have. And he never, uh, has gotten in. So I think if that's to be the indicator right there, a great player like he was, that should probably be a good indicator for what we should expect for Clemens and Bonds going forward. But we'll see how that plays out. The next several years could be very interesting uh, for both uh, Bonds and for uh, Clemens. So just want to get your take. Anything else uh, to throw out there tonight before we wrap everything up? Yeah, I definitely wanted to go ahead and, and, and thank the guests that we had on the show, you know, throughout the week. I really appreciate it. You know, we had uh, Charlie the Hammer Hall join us. And, and if you haven't seen or or that interview, please do so, especially if you know someone 
or you know that has to do with bullying, please watch that interview. It's a very powerful interview. Charlie the Hammer Hall, the kid is only 14 years old, going on 15, and he did share. I don't want to spoil it for you. Some of this, I told him to go ahead and please give some, you know, details as to what bullying you had to endure, and it's really eye-catching, ear-catching. But he's fighting against that. Charlie the Hammer Hall, I really want to thank him for coming on. And then we have, you know, our second person that, that did come on, and that was. Love more, no. You know, definitely a, a great story of a boxer who was very, very good at, at boxing and then uh, turned into be a lawyer. That's just uh, remarkable. He's helping out the community, being a lawyer. So watch that interview too. I really want to thank Love More No for coming on our show. He did say in the interview that he's going to send me a autographed copy of my of his book. So I'm looking forward to that as a gift. He said that on the interview. You can watch it yourself and see it and he's all the way from australia so he's got to send it internationally so and he knows i'm from the u.s so i really really appreciate it can't wait to see it and one more knows watching and listening to this podcast thank you again i know that he saw all my thank yous and he shared the, the interview so we really appreciate those gentlemen coming on our show i definitely want to say that uh nico ali wash it has a fight tomorrow i think he's going to win and, uh, yes, uh, definitely uh, I appreciate Lou, too, for calling in, a normal guest. But uh, definitely appreciate you guys for your support for the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. That's that's pretty much all I have to say. Good stuff. Good stuff for sure. And that's really cool, of course, uh, as you mentioned there before. So, well, this has been a great, uh, great show, uh, preview of the uh, – uh, NFC and AFC title games. Uh, we'll have more to talk about here along those lines as we'll have winner in both uh, matchups uh, this time next week, of course. Uh, of course, this time Sunday night we'll have this uh, as well. So uh, for Alan and for Lou, signing off here tonight, this is Aaron. So long, everybody. Thank you. Listening to the Evan Aaron's Full Stop Podcast. <laughs> Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you. <laughs>